Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Closed it, put it down, and never picked it back up. Anybody ever done that? I've done that. I paid good money for a book, and the beginning kind of lost me. Have you ever tried to, uh, to watch a television show that everybody else is talking about, and you start episode one, or a movie maybe that everybody's talking about, and you get, and, and five or six or ten minutes into it, you turn it off, and, and you never end up watching. Anybody do that with a TV show or a movie for one reason? Or, I've done that. We just did that recently. Somebody uh, mentioned a, a TV show. My wife and I are often looking for something that we could enjoy watching together that isn't full of, of wickedness, but would be entertaining. We might enjoy something like that, and, uh, and for the last 22 years of our life, most of our, uh, our television entertainment has been animated for one reason. I guess that's what happens. You have five kids, right? And so trying to find something that might not be made by Pixar. And, uh, and we started this thing, and we got about 10 minutes in. I was like, well, this series isn't for us. And maybe if we gave it a little more time, it would have been. But they lost us with the beginning. Beginnings are important. Beginnings are foundational, and foundations matter foundations matter. We're looking at the beginnings and the foundation of Scripture, really of our faith today. How many of you have, have uh, ever played Jenga, that game? The, the st- I've got a large Jenga set. I'm going to move this back so others can see it. I'm going to ask my son Titus to come on up and help me with this, this uh, illustration. And uh, Titus, we're going to try not to get too competitive in our ho- house. If there's winning and losing, then it gets really loud. So Titus, we're just going to play Jenga. You don't have to wait for me to tell you it's your turn. Go ahead. Go ahead and play. And we'll see who wins here. So if you know how Jenga works, you've got a stack of blocks and you've got to take one. And you, uh, you push to see which ones are kind of loose, and you take, cheating, oh, you're, oh, if you touch it, see, he already told me it's cheating, right? I literally just said, <laughs> I literally just said, we're not going to get competitive. The first thing he said was, that's cheating right there. <laughs> this is how it goes at our house. At any game, there's very often, keep going, that's cheating, very often, very often in our house, I'll know my kids are playing in the backyard because the entire neighborhood knows they're playing some competitive game. So I have to, whatever I touch, I have to do. I've never heard that before. All right. Oh. Oh. Can I use? Okay, I'm leaving that one. Here we go. There we go. So I'll come out to the backyard and I'll say, hey, kid, I know that they're playing something competitive because the whole, na-, and I'll say, kids. The whole neighborhood doesn't need to hear your game in the backyard. And so our family gets a little too competitive. But how does it work in Jenga? If you want the stack to get high, where would you take the blocks from? You're going to take the blocks more toward the top, right? Because if you, the taller you want it, the, more, the closer you get to the bottom, don't lose. The closer you get to the bottom, what happens as you start to take things from the bottom, what happens is the stack, the tower, begins to weaken, right? The closer you get to the foundation, the weaker the structure becomes. And if you take it from the top, the base stays strong, you can go higher and higher. And so if I wanted this game to go more quickly, we we take, and even worse than that, he and I are taking the ones from the uh, 
from the, the middle, but if you start taking the ones from the side, especially close to the bottom, now it's only standing on one block there. And the higher we go, eventually as we start to take different ones, that structure is going to get weaker and weaker. Why? Because the full parts are going to be up here, and the closer we've gotten to the foundation, there we are, taking one out, I'm not going to, oh, I'm going to win this, all right, even if it takes all, all message. But we understand in this game of Jenga and in everything else, the, uh, in this game of Jenga, the foundation, I don't know what happened, I'm trying to preach a message here, the foundation, this seemed like a good idea in my study to play Jenga in front of the church. But the foundation is imperative for the structure. Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 11, verse 3. He said, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? And you can see up here we're strong, but more tro- And I won right there. All right? That's what I'm talking about. I'm going to leave that right there just to remind all of us that I won the whole message. I'm not even going to clean it up. But if the foundations be destroyed, when it started, it was very strong, but as you start to take away from the foundations underneath, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker, right? And foundations are vital. They're important in our lives and in our faith. Why? Because the foundation directly affects everything built upon it. The foundation of of a life, the foundation of a faith, the foundation of a building, the foundation of a business, the foundation directly affects everything built upon it. What do foundations affect? Foundations affect the size of the structure, don't they? I'm not a builder, but we have several superintendents and people in construction that build large, huge buildings. The bigger the building you want to build, what do you have to do? The deeper you have to dig the footings. The the foundation affects the size of the structure. It it affects the strength of the structure. A stronger foundation can support a heavier building. By the way, that's true in our lives as well. Our foundation affects the, the, the strength of our lives. It affects the stability of the structure. I've not been there, but the leaning tower of Pisa, what, that stability, it slowly started to fall. Why? There's some problems in the foundation, and so the stability of that structure, and it's begun, and in our lives, this is true in our lives as well, when storms come and when an earthquake comes, if you have just a little uh, shanty, a little shed built in your backyard, you just kind of put together and a strong storm comes or an earthquake comes, it's going to collapse. Why? Because it's not on a good foundation. But if you've got the right foundation, a building, this building has stood here for 30-some years, it's withstood many storms, it's withstood earthquakes. It's withstood all kinds of things. Why? Because the foundation was competent and it was built strongly enough. Our foundation directly affects the scale of our lives, the strength of our lives, and the stability of our lives. This morning, we're going to look at the foundation of all of Scripture and the foundation of the entirety of our faith. I want to say that again. Our text this morning is going to be the foundation of all, that's a pretty bold statement, of all of Scripture, and the foundation of the entirety of our faith, and it's only four words. 
Four words in this book, in English, 17 letters make up the foundation of all of Scripture and of the entirety of our faith. Last week, we looked at an overview of the entire book of Genesis. And so last week, we looked at, uh, we looked at over, uh, an overview of 50 chapters as we embark on this verse-by-verse study of the beginnings, the book of Genesis. This morning, we look at four words. And uh, just to encourage you, I, I, I looked it up. There are more than 38,000 words in uh, the English translation, the King James uh, translation of Genesis, more than 38,000 words. We're two weeks into our study, and we will have covered, by the end of today, four words in Genesis. So I did the math. At this point, it's only going to take us about 368 years of Sundays, <laughs> if I don't take any vacation and I don't get sick, all right? The good news is we'll move a little more quickly than four words a week. But we're going to look at four words this morning. If you have it there in your Bibles, Genesis chapter number one, would you read the first four words aloud with me? Genesis in chapter number one. Ready? Begin. In the beginning, God. One more time. In the beginning, God. There it is. That's the foundation of the entire Bible. In the beginning, God. That's the foundation, and I'll show you how and why, but that's the foundation of our entire faith. Everything else that we believe, and by the way, if I wanted to build the Jenga, they started with three, but guess what? If I wanted to build a really strong structure, if I tried to just build on this one, I'm not going to make it very tall, but if I made this even bigger and wider, I could build even farther and higher and taller. The foundation of the entire Bible really rests upon those four words that God in His sovereignty and God in His omniscience put as the very first four words in the Hebrew. When it was written, it was actually the first three three words of the Bible in Hebrew, four in our English language, in the beginning, God. And may I say this as we get started in this series on Genesis, if the first verse in God's Word isn't true, then none of the rest of of the Bible is true. It's why it's so foundational. If the first verse of God's Word isn't true, then none of the rest of the Bible is true. This is one of the most important sentences in the Bible, verse number one, that starts with, in the beginning, God. And may I say this, so if this verse, if this sentence isn't true, then none of the rest of the Bible is true. And if the Bible isn't true, you're going to have to answer for your life, what is? Because there's truth somewhere. And if if the Bible isn't true, then you're going to have to answer what is. If the Bible is true, it starts with this foundation. And here's the title of my message this morning. We're going to tie all this together at the end. Here's my title. What is your foundation? What is your foundation? What is it that determines the scale and the strength and the stability of your life? What is it that you're building your life upon? What am I building my life upon? I want you to answer that question truly this morning. What are you building your life upon? Another way to put it would be, what is your worldview built upon? How do you view this world? What is it built upon? You know that we build as people, we build our lives upon all kinds of different things, don't we? 
Some of us build our lives on education and others on religion and others on finances or business achievement, others on self and pleasure. Some build their lives on power or position, on their accomplishments or what they've been able to amass, some on their giftings. But when it really comes down to it, there are only two foundations upon which every person that's ever lived has chosen to build their life upon. And I'm, I'm going I'm to hold you in suspense there a little bit. We're going to get to those at the very end. That's the, t- the close of our message. But really, everything we build our lives upon is one of two foundations. We're going to see it in Christ's own words. One of two foundations, and I want you today to ask yourself, well, I came to church, Pastor Ryan. You can come to church and still not be building your life on the right foundation. I want you to ask yourself truly, what, am, what is my foundation? What am I building my life upon? First, before we get to those two foundations, I want you to see, it's amazing, God's Word is so beautiful. I want you to see all that is taught, I shouldn't say all that is taught, I want you to see four foundational things that are taught in the first four words of Genesis chapter number one. Would you say those four words aloud with me? Ready? Begin. In the beginning. In the beginning, God. What do those four words teach us? I want to give you a few foundational thoughts and truths that these four words teach us. Number one, they teach us the origin of life. The origin of life. For millennia, hasn't man struggled with? Where did we come from? How did we get here? How did all this happen? And we, there are, there are brilliant scientists and, and conferences and books that have been written and courses that have been taught to try to answer this question, where did life come from? And we come up with some really amazing theories. Well, it started with a little gas that turned into a little cell that kind of met some other gas out in space, and they, they saw each other, and they had this big bang, and they did this, and, and it started with a tadpole, and then it, the tadpole came onto land, and he, he jumped up, and he turned into a monkey, and that monkey turned into us, and we have all—where did life come from? What's the origin of life? We have all of these theories and all of these brilliant minds, but the reality is God answered the question in the first four words of his book in the beginning, God. The next verse is created. I'm sorry, the next word is created. In the beginning, God created. It answers the origin of life. How did I get here? Was it a big bang? Was it intelligent design? Did it all happen by chance? Was it gases or tadpoles or monkeys? This verse tells us how did we get here in the beginning, God. You say, well, Pastor Ryan, that takes a lot of faith. We're going to get into this in the coming weeks as we look at creation. But any belief in how we got here takes a lot of faith. One isn't science and the other is faith. It's, do I, do, am I going to have faith in a man and his theory, or am I going to have faith in the creator of the universe, the God of all creation? In the beginning, God, it teaches us and it answers the question, the origin of life. I would say, it, then because of what it teaches us about the origin of life, it then gives us an idea of the purpose of life. Isn't that a question? that we've struggled with for millennia, and I would say that we still struggle with today often. Why am I here? Not, not just how did I get here, what am I here for? Why am I here? And you know these first four words help to answer that life, that age-old question, in the beginning, God. How does it answer that? Because here's the reality. The reality is that a creator determines the purpose of his creation. Let me say that again. The creator determines the purpose of his creation. Let me illustrate. 
I didn't look it up. I should have, I guess. I don't know who's the inventor of this. What is this called? What is it? Somebody could Google it. I don't know who's the creator of the shovel. I don't know who's the inventor of the shovel. I don't think he spent too long in his shop to figure that out. It probably is thousands of years old. They started making a tool. What is the purpose of a shovel? What is the main purpose of a shovel? To what? You all said it. How do you know that? It's what it was created for. It's, now, is digging the only thing that it can be used for? No. Now, but to dig, to dig into dirt, to, to dig a, a pile and put it into a wheelbarrow, to move something from one spot to another, it helps us. It's a lot better and a lot, it's a lot easier than bending over, picking it up with two hands and trying to move something. You can, it's a lot stronger. You get a lot more leverage when you're trying to dig deep to get a hole so you could plant a tree or plant some plants. So we have a shovel. And you answered it. What's the purpose of the shovel? To what? Now, it's not the only way that it can be used. I, I can use a shovel. If I were in a fight, I could use a shovel as a weapon, and I could do a lot of damage. It's not what it's meant for, but it could be used that way. That's not what, do you think the creator, when he built this intended, I hope that people take this to street fights and use this to cause bodily harm. That's not what he intended when he created it. But it's been, has a shovel ever been used in an assault? I'm sure that it has. What else could it be used for? If, let's say I'm, I'm out in, in the field or the farms or camping and all I've got is a shovel. I've got some food. I guess I could use it. I could put food on here and use it as a plate and I could eat off of it. Now, it wasn't intended to be used as a dish, but I, I could use it. Or if I have no water and maybe it's raining and I could try to hold this to get a little water, I could use it as a cup or as a, a dish or something like that. It could be used for a lot of different things, but what was its purpose? Why was it created? It was created to dig. And here's the reality. You and I can use our lives for a whole lot of different things. We can use our lives to, to do a lot of stuff that, that maybe people around us are impressed by and maybe feels good to us. But are those things what the Creator intended our lives to be used for? How do we know what our purpose is? We have to answer our purpose by understanding what, who is our Creator and then what did our Creator, uh, what did our creator create us for? Again, it's not to say that somebody can, uh, that, that no one can choose to go against the Creator's wishes and do something with this that He never intended, but it is the Creator that determines the original purpose. May I say, in the beginning, God, it shows us who our Creator is, and you and I were created for a specific purpose. You say, Pastor Ryan, what is that purpose? Now, a man has messed this purpose up, but what is the original intent of the one who created us? John said it this way in Revelation chapter number 4, verse number 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast, what church? Created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. What's the purpose of life? To bring Him honor and glory, to, to please Him with our lives. Paul said that I may, that, that, that we may please him who's called us. What is our, we, we find out, we really get a, a, an inkling into our purpose when we understand our creator. Now we do have to get a little farther into the Bible for that to be spelled out, but understanding our purpose, it starts with understanding our origin, who created us and why, and the Bible in other places tells us, it tells us in another spot, Paul said to the Ephesians, we were created unto good works. He said we were created for good works. We struggle with the question, what am I here for? What is the purpose? 
purpose of life? Where do I find fulfillment? Understanding creation and the creator, understanding these four words answers the question, why am I here? I'm here for His glory. I'm here to fulfill His plan. I'm here, I'm created unto good works. I'm here to bring Him pleasure, to to seek to please Him with my life. And so the question is, are you fulfilling the purpose for which you were created? In the beginning, God. He created us. So we go to Him to find our purpose. Every other purpose and authority that tells us how to live our lives is inferior and leads to all kinds of misuse of our lives. These four words teach us the origin of life. They are the foundation for us to understand the purpose of life. They also teach us the vital doctrine of the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ. That simply means that Jesus is God. This doctrine, this doctrine is what separates Christianity from all other belief systems. You notice that most of the time, Places in our, in our secular society that don't want much to do with religion, they still don't mind prayer. They don't mind if you stand and pray or you talk to a higher being. You know where they draw the line, and I've had it where to pray at a city council meeting in certain cities at times. We don't mind if you come and pray or to pray in front of Congress or different things at times in certain situations like that. We don't mind if you pray to your higher power, but just don't mention the name Jesus because that might offend other people. Oh, we can say what in their minds might be the benign word God, but the fact that we acknowledge Jesus is God changes everything. By the way, that's true. Understanding the doctrine of the deity of Christ, it's what separates Christianity from every other belief system. May I just stop and say there are many belief systems that believe in the existence of Jesus, but they cast doubt on his deity. They'll say, oh, he was a good man. He taught some good moral lessons. He was a good teacher. He was a prophet. He did some miracles. But was he the sinless son of God? Oh, I wouldn't go that far. And that is the foundation of our entire faith. You say, Pastor Ryan, you're really pulling a lot of those four words. I I think you kind of lost it. I don't see anything about, says, in the beginning, God. What does that have to do with the deity of Christ? You're saying that Jesus was the very Son of God, our Messiah, our Savior, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm saying all of that, and I'm saying that God, in His infinite wisdom, establishes all of that in the first few chapters, the first few verses, and I would suggest even the first four words of the Bible. You say, well, Pastor Ryan, I don't see Jesus anywhere in there. I think on my next point, I'll show you that it's even referred to in the Hebrew word for God that we see here. But where am I getting that Jesus is here in the first four words of the Bible? Hold your hand here, will you? Would you go with me over to the gospel according to John, John in chapter number one, a passage that some of you might be familiar with and others of you maybe not as much. John in chapter number one. So what are the first four words? What's the foundation of our faith and the foundation of scripture? In the beginning, what? What are the first four words? Talk to me. In the beginning, God. How does that teach us the deity of Christ? That Jesus is the Messiah, that He is God, that He's equal with God, that He is God. How how does it teach us all of that? Look at John in chapter number one. Look at the first three verses. What are the first three words of John chapter number one, church? In the what? Oh, that sounds familiar. In the beginning was the what? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. 
So in the beginning, God, and he's the creator, we get to John 1, and in the beginning was the Word. Okay, so what's the Word? That still doesn't say Jesus. Well, let's skip down for sake of time. Look at verse 14. And the Word was made what, church? Oh, I wonder who was God that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Oh, the only begotten of the Father. Oh, another clue. Full of what? Grace and truth. So now for those of us that might still be a little obtuse and still might struggle to put all of the pieces together, well, that still doesn't say Jesus. And I'm skipping some verses and there's some other ones here, but skip down to verse number 17. Would you read verse 17 aloud? Ready? Begin. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by, verse 14 says, he was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth came from, it's very clear as you study it, the word, the living word is Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God, from the first statement of the first sentence of the first verse of the first book of the Bible, God is saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is the sinless Son of God, the Savior of mankind, the Messiah. Jesus is God. And then lastly, what does it teach us? It teaches us the first four words, the foundational words of the book. You can go back to Genesis. It teaches us the origin of life which answers a lot of questions about how we're going to live. It, because it answers the origin of life, it then speaks to the purpose of life. What is the creator's purpose? It speaks to the deity of Christ. And then lastly, I believe that these first four words in this first chapter clearly teach from the beginning the Trinity. The Trinity. This can be a tough doctrine for our finite minds to comprehend, and I could preach a whole message or a whole series on it. I don't want to confuse anybody, but for those that might be newer to the faith, we believe the Bible teaches clearly that, that we serve a triune God, meaning he is three parts in one. We are monotheistic, there's one God, but there are three distinct persons. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal, but they have different roles. They, they, but, and, and again, my brain, I've heard people say, well, it's like an egg. You have the shell, the yolk, the white. I've heard people say it's like water. It can be in three forms, steam, uh, liquid, and ice, solid. And I, I've heard all of it, we have all of these different human illustrations to try to get our finite brains to comprehend an infinite truth. I don't know that I'll ever fully comprehend the, the, the power of the God. I don't know. My, my finite brain can't comprehend eternity. In the beginning, God. Well, when was the beginning? In the beginning. And eternity passed. Where did it start? At the beginning. And who was there? God. And what else can you tell me? I don't know. And by the way, I'll just say this. If I could explain everything about my, me as a sinful, finite being, if I could explain everything about my God, he wouldn't be that big of a God. There are some things that, that our brains, the Bible says, now we see through a glass darkly, then we'll know him face to face. There are just some things that sometimes our finite brains, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are above our ways. Don't let that scare you away. It's a good thing. The just shall live by faith. There are just some things we believe because the Bible says it. We can't always explain all of it. Now, that doesn't mean that our, our faith is, a, is an ignorant, blind faith. It doesn't mean that. But there are some things that, but the Trinity, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit— 
And God the Spirit, Jesus said when when He came back, He would send His Spirit. If you're saved, we believe that the Spirit dwells inside of us, and it convicts us, and it comforts us, and it encourages us. Pastor Sammy said that this morning, something along the lines of be in tune with the Holy Spirit this morning, and and you're you're hearing, and you do something you shouldn't. Disney called it Jiminy Cricket. He said, let your conscience be your guide. For the Christian, it's not Jiminy Cricket. It's the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. And He says that that's probably not pleasing to the Lord, but then when you're, you're in the depths of despair, sometimes you just feel this grace and this peace wash over you. That can be the, the Holy Spirit supposed to comfort us. He said, I'll send the comforter. He has these different roles. But from the first chapter, from the first four words, God speaks to the Trinity. What do I mean by that? Look at the fourth word, in the beginning God. In Hebrew, that word that we've translated God is the word Elohim. It's interesting that in Hebrew, it's the third word of the Bible. Interesting that in the third word of the Hebrew Bible, God established a triune God. I don't get too far into numerology stuff. That gets a little, a little spooky and crazy, but that's just kind of a cool thing. That in the third word of the Bible, God institutes a triune God. But what is Elohim? It's an interesting word to describe God. And it's interesting, this word is used dozens of times, I think in just the first chapter alone. But Elohim, used throughout Genesis 1, is plural in form, but as you study it, it takes a singular verb, and it refers to a singular deity. So we have a plural noun that takes a singular verb. And some of you are like, I hated English, I hated grammar, why are we going through language on Sunday morning? But when you dig in to study it, it's a plural verb referring to multiple, but a singular verb meaning one entity. From the beginning, Elohim a triune God. You say, well, I don't know that you can, you can say that that word means three in one. Well, look at verse number two. So we have God, if you want to say that that's God the Father, God oh, there, and it's Elohim. I believe it's speaking to the, the, the Godhead, all three God, all three in one. Verse two, and the earth was without form and void. The very next verse, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the what church? And the So we have the Spirit of God right there in verse 2. Skip down to verse number 26. Verse number 26. Right when he's going to make man, and God said, let, what's the pronoun there? Let what? Us make man in what? Our image. That's interesting. God said, let us, and then it goes back to singular, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. That's not a grammatical mistake. John 1 makes it clear that there was more than just one God, if you will. They are one God, but you understand what I'm saying. One person of the Godhead there says Jesus was there. There was nothing made that was not made by him. He was there at creation. Verse 2, the Spirit of God is there. It teaches the foundation of who we worship and who we serve and who we love and who he is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. It tells us who the God we serve is from the first first four words of the Bible, and this is our foundation. And I I asked you, what is your foundation? What is your worldview? Of which there are really only two. Would you turn with me to Matthew 7? I want you to see Christ's words, and we're going to close it up. Matthew 7, the first book of the New Testament, and really some of Jesus' first public ministry words. This is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is 
really some of the beginnings of Jesus' earthly ministry. He gathers a large crowd. I've stood there. The group that's going with us to Israel in September will stand there at that spot they believe where the Sermon on the Mount was and thousands were scattered there. And you can picture in your mind's eye, Jesus preaching this sermon. He's establishing some core vital things for his followers, disciples to know, and for those that are just bystanders that are interested to know who's this guy all about. He's establishing some foundational things in his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount, who he is and what he stands for, and and what, 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 what we as his followers should seek to strive to be like. And he gives the Beatitudes, tells you how we should, and, and just different things. He talks about a lot of different topics, but I want you to see what he says in Matthew chapter number seven, his famous Sermon on the Mount. And, and, and by the way, as we look at our foundation, you either believe in the beginning God or you don't. If you do, it changes the way you view everything and the way you live. And if you don't, that also changes the way you view everything and the way that you live. Look at what he says here in in, in chapter 7, verse number 13. Chapter 7, verse number 13, notice he's preaching. What does he say? Enter ye in at the straight gate, that narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. What did Jesus say in his Sermon on the Mount? I want you to know there are only two ways. There are two ways to believe. There are two thoughts. There are two foundations. He says there are only two ways. We think there are all these different ways. We think there are all these different worldviews. We think there are all these different religions, all these different denominations. And practically speaking, there are. But Jesus from the beginning said there are two. And you have to decide which path you're going to take, which foundation you're going to build upon. Look at verse number 15. He says here, beware of false prophets. I want you to remember that as it relates to our foundations, which come to you in sheep's clothing. They look good and they sound good, but in, inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Look at what's coming out of their lives. Do ma- men gather grapes of thorns or fig of, figs of thistles? You don't get, get fruit out of weeds. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. What is he saying? There are two options, false teachers or true teachers. There are two options, good fruit or bad fruit. There are two ways, the the straight gate or the broad gate. Verse 21, he continues to build on this thought of what's your foundation, what's your worldview. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me, this is a scary verse, uh, really a sad verse. Many will say to me in that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. We did the right things. We, we were religious. We, 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 try, we said we, we were trying to follow you. Notice what he says, then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Many will choose the wrong foundation, the wrong object of their faith. He's saying many will choose religion, but not a religion relationship with me. There are two foundations. Look at verse number 24. Therefore, therefore, because of everything I just said, look at this, because of everything I just taught you about two ways, 
Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a what, church? Built his house upon a what? Sounds like he's talking about foundations here. Sounds like he's talking about what you build upon. Verse 25, and the rain descended, and the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a what? Verse 26, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the what? Sand, and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. The storms of life come to everybody. But it fell, and great was the fall of it, and it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. In another part of the Bible, it says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. What is Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount? What is your foundation? What are you building your life upon? And here are the two foundations. Everything we could say, education, business, success, achievement, power, position, religion, everything that we could say is kind of the identifiers of what we're building our lives upon comes down to two things. And every one of us make a choice every day what we're gonna build our life upon in that day and really for a lifetime. It's God's, the two foundations. Is it God's word or man's word? Are you building your life upon God's word or man's word? God's wisdom or man's wisdom? God has a plan for the life. God has a plan for marriage. God has a plan for child rearing. God has a plan for honesty and integrity. God has a plan for for the ways that we should spend our lives. God has a plan for a work ethic. God has a plan for salvation, how to get to heaven. And do you know that man has an alternate plan for every single one of those? Man has a plan for how you get pleasure. Don't worry about getting married and getting tied down to that old ball and chain. Go live your life and sow your wild oats. That's man's word. God's word says, so shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. Are you going to build your life upon God's word or man's word? God says, you're not going to find what you're looking for in the things of this world. The world says, come, enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Go seek after money, after power, after success, after prestige. And and we have to decide, am I going to build my life on God's word or man's word? God says children are an heritage of the Lord and, and, and that they're his delight, they're his children, and I'm just a steward of them. Man says they're there to serve me, and kids are they're, they're, they're kind of an, a nuisance, and they're obnoxious, and, and get them out. Are you going to run your family on God's word or man's word? The world says, look out for number one, it's a dog-eat-dog world. God says the first shall be last, the, the greatest among you is the servant. Are you going to build your life on man's word or God's word? Man's wisdom or God's wisdom? Two worldviews, two foundations upon which everything else is built. Which one will you choose? And may I say this? I said it earlier. Your choice determines how the rest of your life will be built. Your choice determines if you marry or who you marry. Your choice determines where you go to college and what career path you choose. Your choice determines uh, how you treat those in your life. Your choice determines how you go about business. Do you just do whatever it takes and side skirt and dishonest and manipulate? Or do you say, you know what, I'm willing to lose some business in order to please him. Your choice determines how the rest of your life will be built. Teenager, if you believe this verse, 
and you choose to build your life on God's word, it changes everything. It impacts your career choice, your college choice, who you date, who and how you marry, what your priorities are. Parents, if we, if we believe these first four words are true, that in the beginning, God, then it changes how we rear our children, what we model as being the most important in our lives. Man's wisdom says, live for the child, give them everything and just do all of this, whatever their, their desire is, and be their friend and do all of that. And God's wisdom says, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Make God the priority of your home. Make Make those things, faithfulness to his word and to his principles, it changes the way that we parent. Pastor, if you believe that in the beginning God, then you understand that this church is not your kingdom, Pastor. It's not my kingdom. They're God's people, and it changes how I treat the people of God. It changes what I preach. It changes the philosophy. It changes what we do. If I just understand that I'm going to try to build the biggest church so that I can get respect from this person and get invited to that conference and make money off of that book, if, if I understand it's his people and it's his church. It's not mine. It changes how I pastor. Am I going to build my life upon God's word or man's word? If you build your life on man's word and man's wisdom, then he who dies with the most toys wins. The greatest among you is the one with power, position, not the servant. Might as well just live for yourself because have fun, die, and it's over. Everyone else is out to get you. But if you build your life on God's word, you're going to live for him and others. The greatest is not the master, but the servant in God's economy. Kindness and love and forgiveness are, are, are symbols of strength, not weakness in God's word. They're pictures of Christ. Kindness, what do we say in our, in our think, about, think about man's word, it's amazing. You start reading t-shirts and signs, how much of humanism and man's wisdom has infiltrated our culture? What do we have, we have a saying, what do we say in our culture? Nice guys finish, you've heard it, nice guys finish what? It's, it's ingrained in us. To be nice, to be kind, to be forgiving is a sign of weakness. What does God's word say? The greatest among you is your servant. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. And so, how are you going to order your life? According to God's word or according to man's word? What is your foundation? Your choice of foundation changes everything about the structure of your life. If you say this morning, I'm building my life on the foundation of God's word, how is that affecting your daily life? How is that affecting your online habits? How is that affecting your budget? How is that affecting your, your use of discretionary free time? How is that affecting the way that you interact with those that you live with or those that you work with? I'm building my life on the foundation of God's word. Is it having any impact? Is it changing anything about the way your life is being built? What is your foundation? Is it affecting your honesty, your integrity, your purity, your speech, your work ethic, your generosity? What is your foundation? We have to go back to the beginning of the Bible. Because our foundation is that which the rest of our lives will be built upon. Is Christ your foundation? He created you. He loves you. He died for you. He wants to save you. And he wants to guide you through every relationship and every stage in every situation of your life. But I don't know about you, if you're anything like your pastor, so often I let man's word 
and man's wisdom affect my thinking and affect my behaviors and affect my priorities. So this morning, truly, what is your foundation? The foundation of the Bible? In the beginning, God. The origin of life, it answers that question. It speaks into the purpose of life, the deity of Christ, the Trinity, in four little words. Isn't that amazing? The, the, the amazing wisdom and power of our God to put so much into a few words and a few verses and a few chapters at the beginning. The foundation upon which the rest of the Bible is built. And really the foundation upon which the entirety of our faith is built. Say the words with me aloud. In the beginning, God. If that's not true, the rest of the Bible's not true. If that is true, it should change everything about us in our lives. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.